Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yes, welcome Carlson. everybody to an episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I have got a special treat for you today. One of the all-time great guests of Keeping Carlson for the third season in a row. I'm joined by Winnipeg Jets beat writer for The Athletic. It's Marat Atesh. Marat, welcome back to Keeping Carlson. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Um, man, it's been a while, but things are good. How are things in your world? Not too bad. Like, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to be talking to you so soon. You know, the Jets had been making the playoffs for the past few seasons. I assume this would be another one. Actually, I was listening back to our interview from last year, uh, just yesterday. And I opened the interview by being like, aren't the Jets kind of like turning into a Minnesota Wild-esque team? Like they sort of make the playoffs every year, but don't really, you know, pose much of a threat. And like listening back now, it's like, well, that would have been nice, right? Like if anything, (laughs) like Minnesota, has taken that big step forward this year, it seems, uh, especially after that big win yesterday over St. Louis. Meanwhile, uh, Winnipeg, not so much. Yeah, Minnesota would be an upgrade right now, that's for sure. Even the idea of playoffs, but no great draft pick would be an upgrade over what happened this year. And I was surprised too, got to admit it. Yeah, not not the year we hoped for. Though you did mention uh, when we talked last year that like you were saying that the Jets still hadn't recovered from losing so many of their top D from over the years, and you and you were saying how like they're really going to need guys like Hainala and Sandberg and Stanley, like they're like people like that are going to have to step up. And I, I'd imagine that didn't really happen. Like the Wild, uh, you know, like I said, took a step forward. The Jets seem to have taken a step back. They missed the playoffs for the first time in five years. On paper, it did seem like they improved the back end, right? And the, they brought in Nate Schmidt. They brought in Brendan Dillon but do you think it's basically the same story again as last year like is it mainly the decor that let the team down you know I think it's a little bit different because on paper and based on the quality of player I really do rate Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon over the guys that they replaced you know losing Tucker Pullman losing Derek Forbert was not was not catastrophic in Winnipeg Jets roster building and I do think that Dillon and Schmidt they're not absolutely star-studded top four defensemen and that they're going to fix a situation that's broken. But I think that in a situation where there was more structure, more order, more five people on the ice committing to defense, you would have seen stronger statistical seasons metrics-wise from both of those guys. Um, and I think that the the story this year as it's emerging, uh, we saw some pretty horrific defensive efforts from some of Winnipeg star players. And I think that that kind of hit ahead um, I think we've seen a little bit more tumult in terms of the, the team commitment. I don't know if you've been following um, some of the media availabilities at the exit interviews, end of season stuff, but there has been there has been some prime age young players, Kyle Connor, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Nikolai Ehlers among them, talking about Winnipeg not playing for each other, not playing the right way. Hmm. You had Paul Stastny talk about um, players playing too individually and Blake Wheeler said the 200-foot game isn't necessarily there from Winnipeg's forwards. So I think that Winnipeg's poor defensive results and them missing the playoffs and everything that went wrong is uh, is a, this year I think you can point to a bigger picture problem than, than just the guys they brought in. 
Right. So it wasn't only the defense that wasn't playing D well. Now it was the forwards that maybe also weren't. So is this the kind of thing where the players that are currently on the roster should be like capable of turning this around themselves, like in order to get back into the playoffs next year? Or do you think it's a situation where they're going to need to bring in some more reinforcements to get this team back to at least where they were, if not better? Well, in an on paper sort of way, it's it's a good enough team to make the playoffs. I don't have them as a Stanley Cup contender or anything like that. But heading into the season, I believe we were looking at a team that would make the playoffs and maybe win around. And I still see on paper the Winnipeg Jets as being kind of in that in that bubble group of teams that that should compete for a playoff spot. But things went off the rails so much in terms of their team commitment. Uh, the like I say, back checking was an issue. Defensive positioning, long shifts, all these sorts of things that fell apart around the Winnipeg Jets that are a little bit more fundamental. And I get the sense that we might be looking at some pretty major transactions this summer. First, of course, they need a new head coach. But, uh, you know, there's a possibility that a star renowned point per game player like Mark Shifley is traded this summer. And that's stunning. And Pierre-Luc Dubois' future probably not settled this summer, but it's possible. I mean, he needs a new contract. It's possible it's just one year and they look at different things in the, in the years to come for him as opposed to being able to lock him up long term. Like they're are going to be some pretty seismic shifts in Winnipeg. And it's just sort of now about trying to figure out which ones they're going to be and how it's going to affect the club. Wow, that's that's wild to think about. Like, Because like, like you say, it seems like a good team. I wonder if it would almost be... Like, I'd be interested to see what they could do with another season with, with this group. But obviously, if they make a big trade and trade someone like Shifley, it's actually funny when I was prepping this interview, you know, I kind of like go through each player that I think is interesting and try to come up with like, what's an interesting like question to ask you about the player, some storyline. And Shifley's always... Like, it, it's been three years now and I, I still haven't been able to come up with a good Shifley question because every season he just does the same thing. So it's kind of boring to just be like, is Shifley probably going to do the same thing again next year point per game uh you know centering the top line but i guess this would be a pretty big change if you like why do you think shifley is someone that could be on the block like why would you get rid of someone who's you know 29 years old like still in his prime his contract isn't that bad like just around six million it's actually probably a, a big bargain it's just they expect they could get a huge like return for him well i think there's a sense maybe and you're right like statistically it seems like every year point per game and what is it six years in a row i think he's he's hit that he started slowly offensively this year, but I mean, if you're looking at how people create, like the guy created a lot of chances for himself, create a lot of chances for his teammates, all of that was still there. So if you were looking at Mark Shifley halfway through the year and looking at his point totals, um, you might you might have needed some of the underlying metrics, or you might have needed to watch a lot of games to see how many chances he was creating. And you would you knew that that second half offensive explosion was coming, and it was only a bit of a shame that he got hurt right at the end there offensively. But in terms of why they might move on from a player like him, uh, I, I think it's there's a sense of discontent in Winnipeg right now. And he was asked recently what his future held. And he, which is astonishing for a guy with two years left on his contract, said, well, I'm going to have to take a step back, talk to my family. Um, I'm going to have to see what's best for me. I'm going to have to see how the team direction goes this summer, all that sort of stuff. And the sense was that there was some discontent on his part that, Winnipeg had a tough year this year and he sees some issues of some kind and he hopes that they're, they're going to be resolved. And based on that, he'll sort of assert what he wants or what does not want for the future, which is interesting for a guy under contract. And I think that, I think that the fact that he and his lack of defense, let's say was part of the problem as well, might make it more palatable for Winnipeg to trade him and hope that they can get a huge return 
for a guy who, like you said, 6.125 million in a point per game at 29 years old. Well, that's wild. I guess he could talk to Pierre-Luc Dubois about what it's like to want to move on from a team. And uh, <laughs> yeah. but that didn't go so well for Dubois in year one, at least. It seemed as if like, you know, from Arrested Development, like maybe I've made a huge mistake because he <laughs> went from being this like 60-point guy in Columbus. And then last year, what was it, like 30-point pace or 40-point pace? It was like basically nothing. But this year, actually, he really bounced back. Uh, like It obviously didn't hurt that he got to play with Kyle Connor all season. We'll definitely have to talk about Kyle Connor a bit more in a moment. But just like talking about Dubois, he had this like star-studded line mate with him he also got on the top power play for the majority of the season something that didn't happen in his first year on the team uh do you think that the Dubois we saw this year is like the player that the Jets were expecting to have received in that trade I remember when we talked last year you you were like saying how like uh, you know the tapes that we saw on Dubois was he was like a super dynamic player and he didn't really bring what they expected but now after this season do you think they're happy with the trade or is all this discontent that you're talking about also like apply to him well, I think that they're happy, definitely, in terms of the quality of play that they got from Dubois this season. And it was a really good lesson. And even at the time, this would be what I was writing, what I was saying in, in most contexts. You know, you had to understand that he arrived in Winnipeg to a two-week quarantine. He got hurt almost immediately. He had a second injury a little bit closer to the end of the season. And, of course, he was coming out of whatever situation wanted, like moved him to want to be traded from Columbus. So it seems very much to me as though he had a lot of things working against him last year and wasn't able to overcome that, but he had a tremendous off season. Um, and from day one, really this year had been Winnipeg's most complete center, not as, not as brilliantly dynamic offensively as Mark Shifley, but more of a bulldog, more of a power forward type player, uh, certainly a playmaker as well. The power play helped him put up points. Kyle Connor helped him put up points. They had chemistry, lots of good things. But it was a pretty good lesson in off-ice situations having a pretty big impact on on-ice performance. And he wouldn't be the only person who that applies to. I mean, Shifley's downturn defensively over the last couple of years. I, I think that's related. Josh Morrissey's rebound this year, and we can get into that in a bit. But Dubois' future... Right now, I mean, he needs a new contract this summer. Uh, in two years, he could be an unrestricted free agent. So Winnipeg either needs to sign him for one year, take another swing at a big, long contract, or sign him to that big, long contract right now, or risk the possibility that they may eventually need to trade him maybe next summer, a year before he's uh, eligible for free agency, just like they had been forced to do with, with, uh, with Jacob Truba uh, in, in the past. I, I think that there's a possibility he's not a forever Jet. Hmm. It's, it's kind of disappointing because I remember the Jets like always had this problem of like ever since Brian Little got injured, right? Like they couldn't find that second line center and they kept on bringing in different players like Hayes was there. Uh, I'm trying to remember, there were like a, a lot of like fun names that kind of cycled through that spot that they got a, as deadline acquisitions. And it seemed like they finally have their guy in Dubois. So I guess uh, we'll, maybe we'll start this turnstile again, uh, depending on, on what happens. Uh, okay, so I guess let's go to the goaltending. Actually, I wanted to talk about Connor Hellebuck yeah, because uh, another similarity to our chat last year uh, about the Jets. It was a really good podcast, by the way. I recommend people go check out last year's also, <laughs> though maybe I guess now that this will make that obsolete. But uh, uh, we talked about how Hellebuck had seen his save percentage dip from his Vesna winning season from the year before and unfortunately now it's kind of like we're seeing more of the same but it's like even worse this time uh he went from a 916 save percentage in 2020-21 to now a 910 save percentage this season his lowest mark since his sophomore 
uh, season with the Jets. Uh, he played 66 games. It was the second most in the league beh- uh, behind only Saros, who played 67. And, like, meanwhile, like, I know it's, like, not fair to compare, like, a starter to a backup. Like, Eric Comrie put up a much more sterling, like, 920 save percentage in his 19 games as a backup, including some gems at the end of the year versus, like, the Rangers in Carolina. Uh, shout out to Philly. Uh, do you think there's an argument to be made that maybe Hellebuck and the team overall would be better off with him playing like fewer games next season and maybe letting the backup play a bit more, let Hellebuck rest. Like it's not as if, uh, you know, playing the backup was like a guaranteed loss. Like maybe it felt like in some other years. So I wonder if it's like this increased workload that led to Hellebuck playing worse, or maybe it's like what you've said, like maybe just everyone's playing more poorly defensively and it's not Hellebuck's fault. Well, I do see some studies that say year over year fatigue is very real for these guys. And Connor Hellebuck has been among the NHL's most played starters for several years at this point. And you have to, you have to wonder how that fatigue is impacting him. There were times this year where he just did not look like himself and he was not stopping pucks at the same rate. And I know he continues to look good by metrics like goals saved above expected. So if you look at shot quality, he's still saving more than quote unquote, he should, but he's come off of it in terms of being one of the absolute best goaltenders on the planet, like he was a couple of seasons ago. And so you're looking for ways that he can rebound. And I absolutely think that a lightened workload would would go a long way to that. I don't think Winnipeg needs to ride him as hard as they did. And I certainly think Eric Comrie entered the season as a, as a question mark. And I don't think that you can count on a backup to, you know, replicate their save percentage as a backup if you suddenly start playing him 70 games or anything like that. Right, of course. But Eric Comrie earned more starts than he got this season. I think that would have been good for Comrie. I think it would have been good for Hellebuck's rest and recovery, especially with the density of games we've seen in these pandemic-affected seasons this season and last. Um, Goal scoring across the NHL went up as well, so that's another reason why some save percentages are taking a hit. Um, The other thing about Eric Comrie as it pertains to Connor Hellebuck The Jets actually had a really easy excuse to give Hellebuck a break that they didn't take. Um, Eric Comrie is going to be what's known as a group six free agent this summer, which means he's an unrestricted free agent, free to sign with anybody, specifically because he didn't reach enough games played over the first uh, several years of his career. All Winnipeg needed to do to keep Comrie as a restricted free agent under team control was play him three more times. Oh, man. So they... I mean, it's a good relationship. Player likes club. Clubs like play, likes player. It might only cost them 50K, 100K in terms of a heightened contract or something like that. But they could theoretically, possibly lose this suddenly very good backup uh, just because they didn't play him enough games. And, and that's kind of a miss on Winnipeg's part. But do you think that was like a miscalculation? Like they didn't realize until it was too late? Or do you think they were just like, well, we don't care. Like we just want to play Hellebuck because we need... Because I feel like Winnipeg was out of the playoff race like quite a few weeks before the end of the season, it was clear that they weren't going to make the playoffs. So what, what do you think happened there? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's two two possibilities on that. And I think maybe both of what you suggested is right. One of the reasons why I think it's sincerely possible that Jess just goofed on their math is that the specific rule is that by this age, Eric Comrie would have needed to play 28 games with at least 30 minutes in them or more. So a game where he comes in on relief for plays five minutes, not that doesn't count towards your games played total. Mm -hmm. So it has to be at least 30 minutes. The last game that he played was the last game of the regular season. And that brought him to 28 games played total, but some of them were five minutes, 20 minutes. They didn't meet the 30 minute threshold. So the fact that he hit exactly 28 games 
seems like maybe Winnipeg just missed the 30 minute business and they made a mistake. Um, so that's possible. And I think that's a real possibility. That's raised some eyebrows. I'll tell you that. But the other possibility is that you had an interim coach in Dave Lowry, who was technically still in the playoff race and also probably coaching to try to give himself a good record so that maybe he becomes the full-time coach in Winnipeg, or maybe at least he looks like a good head coach when he goes shopping for jobs in, in other markets. And so he may have sincerely believed that Connor Hellebuck playing a million games uh, was his best shot at a win on any given night as well. Wow. I wonder if like Comrie knew about this, like, you know, his agent just told him like, don't say anything. Like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting. But do you think that, uh, you, you don't know, obviously, but like, do you think that the Jets are hoping to just bring Comrie back as their backup next year? Like, is that like the best case scenario? I own it. I think so. I, Comrie solves a lot of things. There's a, the first of all, the fact that he doesn't make a lot of money, and even after, with his low games played total, even as an unrestricted free agent, he's not going to break the bank. And Winnipeg definitely entered this season needing a goaltender making close to league minimum to just fit into the cap scenario. Winnipeg's cap picture gets better next year, but gets helped if if they can count on Comrie uh, making a million, less than a million, whatever it's going to be now as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he also, he gets along phenomenally with Connor Hellebuck. They have the same agents. They have the same representation. Uh, they have the same off-ice coaches. There's a lot of synergy there between those two players. Uh, so it seems like a problem solved if he signs. If he doesn't, well, that's a problem that you need to sort out again because, I mean, he did play very well. And Laurent Brassois had played well in spurts before him as a backup, but you don't want to suddenly open up a problem that you, you didn't need to have. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so on the flip side of Hellebuck having one of the worst seasons of his career, at least statistically, uh, let's talk about Kyle Connor breaking out for like the third time in his career. I feel like, you know, he breaks out and then he breaks out again, making the previous breakout seem like not that big a deal. But this time, I feel like he's really shown himself to be like a true upper echelon star in the league, at least in terms of fantasy hockey. He's like one of the top guys, especially in your leagues that count shots and goals more than assists. Oh my goodness, like 47 goals, 93 points that crushed his previous career highs he also took 317 shots that's a whole shot per game higher than the previous season he was like averaging three shots per game last season four shots per game this season which is huge uh when we talked about him last year on the podcast it was actually interesting because it was after a down year like he had had like 80 ish points uh or pace for 80 ish points two seasons ago then last year was closer to like 70 ish and uh you pointed out that you expected him to grow like more comfortable because he was that was his first year taking over Liney's old role on the power play so you were definitely right that he seemed very comfortable on the power play and but also he had a ton more points at even strength like did you notice a noticeable change in like the caliber of player that connor showed himself to be this season or has he like been this good for a while and just everything just happened to like click and go perfectly right for him this this year in 2021-22 you know a little bit of both i would 100 percent say that kyle connor was more comfortable uh as a winnipeg jet this season even from from training camp media availability is He's, he's, a, he's a pretty soft-spoken guy, at least in a media capacity. Um, he doesn't, you know, admit to things like wanting to hit 50 goals or what have you. He's very humble to, to speak, very quiet. Um, but he started to have some fun with us a little bit more this year, which was one sign I thought that he felt comfortable in his own skin um, and became a leader. He's, he really started as Winnipeg struggled or, or was doing well. He really opened up and sort of was able to dissect for us, you know, what was going well, break down plays. It, it really did seem like a young man, uh, I guess he's 25 years old now, stepping into himself 
as a as a person like and i think that that plays a role and certainly 25 is thought of as as peak for a lot of different players offensively in terms of production you see a lot of studies say between 23 and 28 i think so i think he's well within that range um and the other thing i think is that his game showed a dynamism even 10% greater than we'd ever seen before. He was he was dancing on the ice. He's always done that. But there were moments where he was going globetrotters on other teams, controlling the puck in the offensive zone, recovering his own misses, uh, being able to walk around defensemen from a standstill, which is impossible to do in a lot of situations. He elevated his offensive game, to be sure. And meanwhile, something that was working in his favor was a different style of centerman in Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is a big power forward type guy. And they figured out ways where Dubois could use his size and strength to open up space for Kyle Connor that he could then dart into and, and become a really dangerous player in, in some new and exciting ways. So I think this is the situation. My guess is we've reached peak Kyle Connor, that this we may see another 90-something point season from him again. This is not, he's not about to fall off the cliff by any stretch. He's in the peak and he played as well as I believe he could have. But I just can't imagine where that next leap in production comes from for him at this point. The number one power play. I mean, if they find a way to run it through him in some like in some way I can't think of quite yet, because he does have a major role, maybe there's a bit of that. But I think that this is the best that we'll see. And I think he'll be able to keep it up a little bit or close to it at the very least. Yeah, I mean, if he goes any higher, like, I don't know, like, what, what can people really expect? He's not like, I don't know, David Pasternak or something, I guess, would maybe be the next kind of level. But no, it would be amazing just to see him keep up what he did. And it sounds like you're saying you're, you're confident he should be able to do somewhat similarly. So that's cool. Actually, it was interesting. On last year's show, you mentioned that Nikolai Ehlers is Winnipeg's best forward. Do you still feel that way now? Or has Kyle Connor? Because I know you can't really just compare their numbers. We'll talk about it. Like Ehlers doesn't get that top power play time, which is where Connor got so many more points than Ehlers. Uh, but like, do you still feel that way that Ehlers is the number one forward? Or now do you think it's closer? I still feel that way. And I think it's closer. And I know, especially if you're just looking at point totals and you're listening to me say that you, you must think that it's, it's absurd. Like why, how could I possibly compare a 93 point player to what, what did Ehlers hit 60? I like, it's not even in my memory banks. That's how unremarkable it is. But if you start looking at a couple of different things, one is points per minute. Nikolai Ehlers scores more points per minute of ice time than Kyle Connor does and has for several seasons. This is a guy that's being underutilized by his club, not a guy that's incapable of producing just an incredible volume of offense. You mentioned uh, the power play ice time scenario as well. For whatever reason, Ehlers has been unable to convince the powers that be that he deserves number one power play ice time. However, when he's been on the number one power play, he's been able to generate with Kyle Connor and others. So if you're looking for a player who could take a step forward offensively, you're looking for Winnipeg's new head coach to recognize that Ehlers is, um, I mean, it's just a slight edge he has on Connor in terms of points per minute, but he's your points per minute leader. And yet you played Blake Wheeler, whose offense is fading at this stage of his career, more per game by a substantial amount than Ehlers. That's an easy fix to get more points out of Ehlers and more wins out of the Jets. And that's what I'd be looking for from a head coach. If you start to see that, then let me say this again. I'm Charlie Brown in the football, but I think that Ehlers is, is due for a, a higher point total by the end of the season on that front. And the last thing on this Ehlers rant is if you want to get into some of the other metrics that aren't necessarily about points and fantasy, but about contributing to wins. I mean, the number of penalties that he draws, 
the way that he's so good in transition, he tends to spend less time in his own zone. His defensive metrics are superior to Connor's as well. Um, you know, a team having both of these players is a team that's well set up on the wings, to be clear. Uh, but I, I, I do still have time for the argument that Ehlers is Winnipeg's number one forward. Nice. Well, so what is it? Like, why don't the coach, like, why doesn't Lowry or Maurice, like, what seems so obvious if he's the leader in points per minute, wouldn't you think play him more minutes and you'll get more points? Like, I'm not, you know, a professional NHL coach, but it seems like, (laughs) it doesn't seem like too tricky. Yeah. I mean, just push the slider of minutes up and then get like reap the rewards of it. Right. Uh, I think part of it is stylistic. I, I really do because I mean, players are human beings too. And Kyle Connor is such a dynamic player and yet manages to, to take routes that are a little bit more predictable than Ehlers does. Like he's more of a straight line player. He takes guys one-on-one. If you ever watch Nikolai Ehlers gain the, gain the offensive zone, which he's amongst the two or three best players in the NHL at doing with possession of the puck, which is a remarkable feat. Um, You know, it's McDavid, Barzal and him basically. Uh, You, you then watch what comes next and Nikolai Ehlers plays jazz. Like it's all freestyle. He's reading and reacting and ad-libbing. Um, he takes these long circuitous arcs behind the net and then dodges back into play at the top of the zone. I think if you're one of his line mates and you're looking for, okay, what do I do? How do I read off of this? Um, there may be more moments where Ehlers confuses or frustrates you than Kyle Connor. And so I think that's a big part of why it had been Connor Shifley Wheeler for so long. They said, give me Connor. They got Connor and that was part of it. Um, I think that there are players who have chemistry with Ehlers. Paul Stastny was a good example of that this year. Uh, And even when you mix Ehlers in with other types of players, they produce more too. But I think that even though they're producing more when he's on the ice, there's more moments where they're like, oh, what did you just do? I didn't Mm. quite get that. And so maybe it's easier for the coaches just to not, not play him number one minutes for that reason. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So then, I don't know. It just seems like the players just need to learn how to play with this awesome player and then everyone will be better off. But okay. It'll be interesting to see now what happens with the new coach. Once again, we'll all be watching to see this power play time because it does seem like Ehlers can be at least a point per game, if not higher, if he had, you know, the same amount of power play minutes as someone like Kyle Connor. There was crazy news at the beginning of this year. Is it true that Ehlers like prefers to not be on the top power play? That was the word that was going around that like he specifically said that like, like he wants to run his own power play and like, I don't know, this like storyline or whatever, like really took hold. And it just seems I've never heard of this before of a player wanting less power play time. I don't believe it at all. Uh, I, but I do under, I did see it. I did see it take the internet by storm as this like commonly regurgitated truth. And I have heard Jets coaches say things before that honestly didn't track with me being like, Hey, we get more out of him when we play him less kind of deal. Like there was some psychological or fatigue based uh, reason for it. I, I don't think that's ever been borne out by metrics or, or when you actually start seeing what happens when he plays in different capacities. So how did this become this truth that people just accepted? I have no idea. Is there a quote I'm missing where he said it and it's attributed to Nikolai Ehlers and somehow I just missed the fact that he said, you know what, guys, I'd like to play less. I don't think that's I don't think a single NHL player thinks that way. Not even one anywhere in any capacity, even when they're made to play less by having a really deep group of teammates. So uh, I, I don't know, maybe somebody who's listening saw the quote that I didn't, which would stun me, but maybe it's out there. Like, I, I want to leave possibility for that. It's just absurd is what it is, is what is how I see it. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I said that on 
our podcast, like, oh, Euler's apparently uh, would prefer to run his own unit. And yeah, I probably should have questioned it more and looked into the source. We, we got to get a Snopes article or something on whether or not <laughs> Euler said this. Uh, okay, so back to some place. So we talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois and his bounce back. Uh, also, Josh Morrissey, who you brought up, had a really nice uh, year after kind of you know, having a down year offensively in 2020, 2021, but he got back to being the 40 point pace guy that we'd gotten familiar with in the previous two seasons. And man, listening to uh, our interview last year, basically like solved the riddle of what happened. Cause you basically predicted it. Exactly. You said that a big part of his down year was the fact that he had been saddled with some like weak defensive partners and he hadn't really been the same since losing true, but you specifically brought up that the only guy he was good with was Dylan DeMello. And if, if you see that he's going to be playing with DeMello, that means he's going to get better. And like, Lo and behold, he he you know played the majority of his even strength minutes with Dylan Tomello, and he he got back to uh, that that forty ish point pace. So is it just as simple as that that uh, Morrissey and Tomello are good together? I guess obviously he was good with Truba back in the day, but do you think that's the answer to why Morrissey had a better season this year, or is there anything more to it? Oh, there's definitely more to it. And and while that's true, while Dylan DeMello constantly makes every partner's metrics look better, he's just a safe, reliable, great first pass. There's so many things. You will never want him on your fantasy hockey team, but you'll want his partner on your fantasy hockey team, right. I think. Like, um, Because anyway, I, I won't turn this into a Dylan DeMello is quietly great and more people should recognize that rant. But it is true that Josh Morrissey's metrics look better with him as his partner. And it's true that this uh, this year playing as many minutes together played a major role in Morrissey's success. But here's the thing. The fall before last season, Josh Morrissey's dad was diagnosed with cancer and it was a terminal diagnosis. The fall before last season as well, um, it was before vaccines were widely available. Josh Morrissey's dad is going through cancer treatment, chemotherapy, and Josh is so afraid of risking his dad's life due to COVID or other things like that, that they maintain distance. And what Josh did to change his training regimen was where all of his teammates were working out as they typically did heading into last season. He set up this barn situation at his friend's place outside of Calgary, good quality ice, but small. And he was basically training by himself where everybody else had each other to work with and all that sort of stuff so that he wouldn't have contact with lots of people. He could see his dad more often. So strictly from a preparation for last season situation, not only was he going through the personal weight of a family loss that was impending, um, but he was also going through the fact that physically he wasn't, he wasn't able to prepare as well as he, he traditionally would. Um, and then fast forward to the offseason prior to this year, and um, Josh Morrissey's dad, Tom, did pass away. Uh, and I have a really must-read, in my opinion, if you want to know more about Josh Morrissey's story at The Athletic, about his relationship with his dad. But a key part was that that summer he was able to train. Last summer, pardon me, he was able to train in earnest in a, in a big way, in a way that he hadn't been able to do prior and another thing, if you get into the, the real heart and guts of it, is um, some of the lessons that he learned from his dad towards the end, he credits his dad for sort of teaching him how to feel free out there again. And there was this real sense of freedom and joy that has returned to Josh Morrissey's game this year. So all of that adds up to another off-ice situation that impacted on ice performance even separate from all those partner issues where Winnipeg made his life harder than it needed to be, 
heading into this season, day one of camp, saw him rip a one-timer. First note, my first note of training camp this year is Josh Morris is going to have a big season. Looks mm-hmm. faster. All the like, so yeah, transformations can happen. And I, I, I believe we've reached a new normal for Josh Morrissey. I think we're, what we just saw reflects what we're going to get next year more than the couple seasons before it did. Wow. Yeah. Like it's really fascinating. I, I, I wasn't aware of this story. Like uh, I guess the human element, like you said, like really plays a part. Like you were talking about like Dubois coming to a new team and like the struggles of having to go right into quarantine. Like yesterday I talked to Brian Hedger about the blue jackets and, you know, he was talking about how like with Merz Lickens and how his like friend, you know, Matisse Kivlenix like died that summer and like how that affected him. So yeah, these like people, these players are real people. And so obviously they're going to be affected by these like traumas and different things that happen. So Nice to hear that Morrissey is back on track, and I'll I'll take your word for it that Morrissey is going to continue to now be, you know, the guy that we were got used to, and then we could just kind of forget about that 2021-22 season, or no, 2020-21 season. Uh, unfortunately, the same can't be said about the other big-name defenseman on the team, Neil Pionk, whose fantasy value took a huge hit from the previous two seasons. He went from being a guy who pays for around 50 points in his first two seasons with the Jets to someone who was like not worth rostering in fantasy, right? Only 34 points in 76 seven games i'd be tempted to blame you know his lack of power play time on ice like that first year in winnipeg he was the top power play quarterback and we talked about how when line a left and there was like handed this thing and like it made more sense for morrissey to be on the top power play and all but anyways but like last season like in 2021 like he's still like uh Pionk still had great numbers so this year clearly something changed beyond just him not being on the top power play any sense of like what happened here to cause such a sharp dip and like should we assume that this version of Pionk, like like Morrissey, is this version of Pionk the, the real one? Or can we expect the one from a couple of years ago to come back? Yeah, it's funny, right? I, I mean, now every time somebody has a down year, um, it'll be like, oh, there must be something off ice that, you know, that uh, that justifies that he'll bounce back. Or at least optimists or fans will, will probably sure. make that argument about more people than to whom it actually applies. Right. He'll come to training uh, camp and there'll be articles saying he's in the best shape of his life. And everyone will go, well, there you go. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, everybody always. That's how it goes. Um, with Neil Pionk, definitely a step back in performance, in quality of performance this year. I was expecting a big year from him and Brendan Dillon as that second part pairing. Um, Dillon being a superior player to Derek Forbert, with whom Pionk had great success last year at 5-on-5. Five five. So it was a disappointing year to be sure. Pionk did have some injury issues. Absolutely, he did. Um, there was an injury incident against uh, Toronto in the December 5th. Is that the date that comes to mind that uh, led to a concussion and missed time at that point? There's a nagging injury later in the season as well. That's also the reason that Pionk won't be playing at the Worlds for Team USA. So if you point to those items, uh, the concussion and the other injury and this and sort of you can begin to imagine that this was a player who wasn't at 100%. He wasn't making his same clean reads as he typically did. And he wasn't able to, to move the puck and do the things that he does that lead to points. You can you can start to make that argument. Um, but at the same time, just visually to watch the guy, even despite a quality partner, it was a down year. So I would suggest that a healthy Pionk is likely to bounce back. Uh, will he bounce all the way back to this 50 plus point pace? I'm not sure. I think that depends in a huge way on power play time. Um, so perhaps my, my present guess is between the last two seasons before this one and the one that just happened, maybe most of 40 in that 40 range. 
Right, that's fair. And I guess with points for defensemen, it's harder to predict, you know, like they generally come less often. Like it is disappointing that he was taking like like two and a half shots per game in that first season with Winnipeg. And it seems like he's not that big shooter that we thought maybe he would be. So that would also be, I'd be even happy just to see that if I had him on my fantasy team, even if he wasn't getting as many points. Uh, okay, so let's go back to the forwards. Uh, I guess we got to complete the set of the big names and talk quickly about Blake Wheeler. Uh I feel like with Wheeler, it was such an interesting year because he was so like ice cold out of the gate. He had only five assists and no goals in his first 15 games. Uh, we were coming on episodes of Keeping Carlson. My co-host Brian was like pretty confident that Wheeler was washed. And I don't mean that as like uh, to throw shade at Brian, but just like it just seemed like doesn't seem like like finally it's happening. He's 35 years old. Clearly, you know, he's not going to be this bad like with this deployment, but it seems like he's no longer the like near point per game player that he's been like for the past whatever it is, 15 years it feels like. Uh, but then he like totally caught fire he had nine assists in his next next six games finally scored his first goal of the season on december 10th along with two assists versus vancouver but then he also got hurt in that game then he was out for like over a month but then when he came back he picked up right where he left off uh wheeler ended the season with 60 points in 65 games but you could also look at it another way and say after that strange 15 games to start the year he ended the year with 55 points in his final 50 games so like a really strong year outside of that slow start uh did you have any concerns during the slow start that maybe Wheeler was finally done as this like big offensive contributor? Uh, and then were you like surprised with this turnaround or is everything just sort of ups and downs? And like, cause you did mention, I guess earlier in our chat here that he's like having dwindling offensive abilities, but obviously like on the score sheet, he still was doing you know, more points than uh, Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah, exactly. Blake Wheeler is an interesting case because he'd been a notorious slow starter in seasons, even before, this horrendous start to this season that he had. Um, I mean, like you say, it took him until December 10th to get his first goal. Uh, it was a rough start. And, you know, I asked him at different points, like um, how it felt to be generating the amount of chances he was getting and not scoring. He's not as dominant of a player as he used to be. Like there was a time where between his five on five excellence and the fact that he quarterbacked that number one power play, you can look at better than a point per game from Blake Wheeler as a realistic expectation. So he's not that guy anymore. If you look at his five on five scoring rates, they're dropping. They are. They are. He's more of a second line type producer than than a top line one which can still be good, especially when you're still on the number one power play. There's productivity there. Um So every year he has that slow start and every year you sort of want to say he's done. And then every year something happens. It's just that the ceiling that he bounces back to is getting progressively lower and lower. Um, So still plenty of fantasy value in my opinion, because I don't think his production is falling off of a cliff, uh, you know, in, in a hurry. It's just a sense of being realistic about the fact that he's not that 91 point player that he was in back-to-back seasons, teeing up Patrick Liney and Mark Shifley, those right-handed one-timers like that's not going to happen. It's even possible. He doesn't take number one power play unit duties, you know, next season. If, if coaching sees things a different way, if a different coach sees things in a different way, like there, there are reasons to believe his offense may erode, even though he's still a reasonably good top six or middle six player. Um, But he's trying like during that that game against Vancouver, three points. It was his best game of the season, not just by points, but by eye. He was vintage in that on that night. Then he gets hurt. He, he missed a lot of time, and then he worked with Adam Oates to do a whole bunch of video work and other sorts of thoughts. Um, Adam Oates, the personal performance skills coach, and evaluated some new ways that he can move the puck into the middle of the ice and create. 
And I asked him about that too, because I noticed a change in the way that he was playing and um, this almost slower speed that he'd move the puck into the middle of the ice. It was all about reads, less about him being able to burn people with the speed that he used to have, but doesn't anymore. So there is some reinvention happening that seems to be slowing the decline because he's not as explosive as he was, but he is as smart. So, you know, what, what are you going to get? Still, still seems to be a productive guy. Right. Uh, for some reason, tell me this is a really bad comparison, but the way you're talking about him kind of reminds me of like Yarmer Yager when he was like getting into his 40s or, you know, like he was like slower, but he still was like so good at like reading the plays and was able to sort of make up for it with just his like sense of, of what's going on. Yeah, definitely. You look for guys to solve problems in new ways. So, okay, I guess there's one more forward from this past season that seems like somewhat noteworthy to me that played like a lot of games. Like obviously we'll get to Cole Perfetti in just a second, who uh, is obviously a very exciting prospect on the team. I just wanted to ask you quickly about Evgeny Svechnikov, who like had a super quiet year overall outside of like a four game stretch at the end of February. But it's interesting to me that when I was looking at the line combinations on the year, like he spent the majority of the season playing on a line with Dubois and Connor, and both of them had these great seasons. It's almost like surprising how Svechnikov was like not capable of getting more or not, not capable, but like how, how you'd think you'd just luck into more points than he got considering he was playing with people that were getting like so many more. Uh, but like, I'm curious, like, was this a line combination that Lowry like thought worked? Like it's just, like, I'm surprised that they stuck together, like for such a long stretch of the year, this guy, Svechnikov who like, you know, struggled to make the team and like stick in the lineup in previous years. Like, is there any chance that this like sticks for next year as well? Or was like Svechnikov clearly just like keeping the seat warm for someone like a Perfetti to, jump to the top six like asap well that line combination came together in the fall and stayed together for a steady stretch of games uh in the fall and during that group of games Sveshnikov was getting those points the the i'm also on the line points and just about anybody who played with dubois and connor they saw their offense go up while they were playing with them Sveshnikov was one I mean, Jansen Harkins spent maybe two games there and, and added to his point total, which is not significant. But for those two games, he looked like a scorer. Cole Perfetti got a stretch with those guys as well um, in the second half of the season and was able to produce offense there too. So it was a really a case uh, of two guys driving a line and the third person could safely be a passenger and still get points while they were with them. So if you're looking for steals next year, figure out who Connor and Dubois are playing with and, and choose that player, especially if it's Cole Perfetti, who probably in dynasty leagues, uh, depending on the depth, may or may not still be available or might not be as rated as highly as, as he could, depending on the opportunity that he gets. Sorry, he said, talk about Cole Perfetti in a second. I got excited. With Svechnikov... No, I have a, we, we can move on if you, if you don't think... Up, up to you, definitely. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap Svech. I'll wrap Svech in saying that when he came off of that line, uh, he had... An up and down year. Uh, there, there were moments of like emotionality in his game. Too many penalties here. A little bit of sulking and sort of disappearing for a couple of games there. Like he seems to be a player who needs that top six opportunity to score. I wouldn't look at him to be an offensive threat unless he ends up in that dream role sometime again. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I was just saying, like, I'm pretty sure that anyone tuning into this interview, I don't think there's anyone tuning in. I can't wait to hear what Marat thinks about Evgeny Sveshnikov. I'm sure a lot of people, though, are coming in thinking, I wonder what he's going to say about Cole Perfetti, because, uh, yeah, he played his first season, like getting some games in the NHL. He had 18 games with the big club, 17 games with Manitoba. Assuming he's fully healed from that upper body injury come next training camp, do you think that the 10th overall pick in 2020, Cole Perfetti, is he ready to be a full-time NHLer next season? 
100%. He's a Winnipeg Jet next season, and the only question is what role that he plays. Um, I I do expect him to be healed and ready to go. I don't. He's not going to play in Worlds coming up. Um, he's technically eligible to play in World Juniors this summer, which would be kind of interesting, but I don't think that's the direction that it's going to happen either because I think from the top down, I think the Jets and his people and him see himself as a Winnipeg Jets, an NHL player, and that's the, that's the off-season training regimen that they're going to get him on. Um, so then the question becomes, well, can he play with Connor and Dubois again? If so, that's a lot of points coming his way. Uh, will they try him down the middle because he's broken into the league as a winger after being a junior, uh, a junior centerman for a lot of years? So there's going to be some role issues. Let's say Mark Shifley stays, which I think is possible, but maybe not probable based on what we're hearing at the moment. Um, then a really cerebral player like Shifley could be a great partner for a for a Cole Perfetti. And if you get a if you get a teammate like that that's another offensive explosion waiting to happen as well. So yeah, I'm looking at Perfetti as somebody who could quietly put up a lot of points, uh, you know, 50, 60 points uh, could have, if the circumstances are right, could have that type of season next year. Right. Okay. That'd be exciting. So maybe not like some of that we should be betting on winning the Calder next year, but some of that could potentially be like a significant contributor at the very least. Yeah, definitely. And role means everything. Of course. But yeah. he has the NHL brain and he has an ability to see plays that few others do. And I think that, that he'll be able to figure out a way to be productive. Cool. Yeah. And I guess the other like big prospect that like his name came up a lot in our interview last year was Vili Heinola. You were like really excited about him. Unfortunately, another season of him unable to stick with the big club. He played 12 games with the Jets, uh, then had 26 points in 41 games with the Manitoba Moose of the AHL. Are you still as high on Heinola as you were when we chatted last year? Or, or has it like another season of him toiling in the minors curbed uh, like some of your enthusiasm? I mean, it's a little muted, but I think that this year, his lack of NHL opportunity was more about the Jets going out and getting Schmidt and Dylan right. than it was that Hanola wasn't having an excellent year. At the AHL level, everything runs through him. Like, he can just assert his will on a game. Every play seems to go through him. Tons of primary assists, tons of goals, tons of um, tons of plays where he's sort of quarterbacking the, the entire show out there. Uh, for stretches of time and you know a few points in his NHL games as well just what he needs is an opportunity and you know I'm not sure what the future holds for Winnipeg Jets defense you know they may try to acquire cap space by clearing out a Nate Schmidt they they may they may see needs up front that they could fill by trading a top prospect like Ville Hanela. Uh, so he's a player that he, right here and now, I, I can't even guarantee you he'll be on the NHL roster, although he should, in my opinion. And if he's on the NHL roster, I can't guarantee what kind of role that he has. If everything breaks right, like if you flip heads in his favor six times in a row, um, he does have the offensive skill set to produce. Uh, it's just tough to see without knowing how the roadmap of, of Winnipeg Jets roster moves will go. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's, I guess, the cost of doing this interview with you in May and not like, you know, in July or August, once we see what happens in the offseason. So that'll definitely be something to watch. And yeah, if a spot opens up for Hanola to get a chance to show what he can do. Uh, I guess the new exciting prospect in the picture now is the 2021 18th overall pick, Chaz Lucius, who spent last year playing with the University of Minnesota. He put up 19 points in 24 games as an 18-year-old. At this point, are we slotting Lucius in as, I guess, like the second most exciting prospect in the system after Perfetti? I think so. I think so. There's a dynamic 
nature to his offense, the way he scores goals that make him an exciting player. And for me, yeah, Cole Perfetti is my number one Winnipeg Jets prospect and certainly a Winnipeg Jet in my mind already at this point. Chaz Lucius, you know, he may play for the Moose. He may even play for Portland in the WHL. I'm not slotting him onto an NHL roster unless he just stuns us, absolutely shocks and stuns us. Stuns. That's not a word. Um, I like it. <laughs> we can roll with it. The So he's an exciting prospect to keep uh, keep eyes on as well. One scout described him to me at one point as the goal-scoring version of Cole Perfetti in terms that they both see the game in a way that few people do. Um, and they they make their hates finding, finding plays that other people don't see, finding soft ice, going to the dangerous areas at maybe surprising times. I think that he's a, he's an exciting prospect for Winnipeg, to be sure, just maybe not a short-term uh, fix on anybody's fantasy radar. Right, so we'll talk more about him maybe next year after we see uh, what happens and where he where he lands this year. Uh, one player that stunned me after the Jets uh, <laughs> grabbed him in round five of the draft last year is this guy Dmitry Rashevsky, who I so I'm in a dynasty league where I've just been going for it every year, you know, like trading all my picks for like players who could help me now to try to win the championship. So like I don't have that many good prospects, and this league is super deep, so there's generally not good prospects just available to pick up out of free agency. But I saw this guy Rashevsky was having a good start to the season. The KHL so I grabbed him next thing I know he went on to have an amazing rookie season with Dynamo Moskva of the KHL uh, he was playing with Golden Knights legend Vadim Shipashov and they did really well together and uh, so Ryshevsky is actually a couple years older than Lucius and this other guy like Nikita Chibrukov who was the Jets second round pick last season but like is it fair to say that Ryshevsky is the most likely pick from that draft to join the team next year just because he's a couple years older like I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him in general like with this uh, surprising season he had in the KHL if he's someone the Jets are expecting to come in and have a shot at making the team next year you know I'm not sure that I expect him to necessarily come over into the NHL quite yet um it's possible uh, but I'm not sure that that's in my current expectation he did have a phenomenal year uh what a what a year to have for an overage pick I, I have no idea what magic went in went into that um, where it came from, but people who I talk to are, are very excited about the amount of offense that he can bring, and to do that against men in the KHL is is an extremely respectable, noteworthy, stunning feat to be sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's somebody who is generating a lot of intrigue, and I can't wait to get my own eyeballs on in terms of you know if he does come over here for camps and if he. He, he does play a role in North American ice. I would just love to see how he's accomplishing what he's accomplishing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So obviously we need to get the Murat Atesh viewpoint on him and, and see exactly how he looks over here in North America. So are there any other prospects on your radar that we should cover before we wrap this up? Like last year, we talked about guys like uh, Veselainen, Gustafsson, Samberg. Seems like nothing much have, has changed on those fronts, unless, unless you could correct me if, if I'm wrong. Like, who, who am I missing? I, I remember actually in the interview last year, uh, I was talking about how I really blew it by in the previous year's interview. I didn't ask you about Andrew Kopp, and then he ended up having having this like 58 point pace season then he was good again this year before getting traded so i, w- I want to make sure i don't blow it this time so i'm just going to put it all on you like who am i who have i not brought up that i that i'll regret not having asked about because he's gonna do something next year that's noteworthy you know it's funny there there have been times with the winnipeg jets where you know andrew Cobb was like my, my biggest secret for a long time i have stories that say that he's going he would do better with a, a bigger role going back to 2017-18 oh nice um you know what i mean like that was a that was 
a situation where I thought that there were certain things that pointed to it. And every time he got a little bit more opportunity, he developed a little bit more. Um, so you used to be able to find that within Winnipeg. And now it's kind of the opposite where, you know, Christian Veselainen, who had a tremendous junior scoring situation in Finland, he even, he scored okay for Manitoba, but not at an incredible level that implies a top six forward. They gifted him a third line job this year and he didn't produce at all with it. So that's the sad story. David Gustafson, I, I continue to think he's a noteworthy prospect in terms of on ice impact and defense two-way play as a centerman. He'll, he'll be able to help Winnipeg in a big way. He's Manitoba's number one center. A lot of the time um, plays every possible capacity, but every time he got called up to the jets this year, he got hurt. So he may, some of the shine might be off of him in a lot of ways, but I still think he should impact the Winnipeg jets next year to what, de- to what degree I'm not sure yet, but I, I see him as an NHLer to be Dylan Sandberg. He impressed uh, a lot of folks in Winnipeg just down the stretch here. He's been playing up with, Winnipeg before going down to the Moose to start their playoff run. So he's a guy who also, you know, we talk about making room for Billy Hanala. Well, you might have to make room for Dylan Sandberg, maybe even before Hanala, uh, just in terms of his all around play or both. So there's, there's some, some real flux about the Winnipeg Jets defense situation that could make either one of those guys extremely valuable in a fantasy context or not at all. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Like even like a Neil Pionk off the top power play didn't get too many points. And so it's hard to imagine that like, you know, further down the list. But if some spots open up, like you say, like it's been a team where over the years there have been some really super valuable players in fantasy playing defense for Winnipeg. Like like Bufflin was one of the best. Like Truba was so amazing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's fun to think back to all the, the good years of drafting Jets players. I still remember like Brian Little and Andrew Ladd being like really good sleepers year in, year out. But uh, this is a different time, and hopefully we've got good times ahead uh, with uh, the Jets going back into the playoffs next year after like just a short hiatus. But we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Marat, this has been such a fun interview. I, just, I just keep blabbing forever. But let's throw to you now. Everyone that's listened is obviously clearly like, this guy knows everything there is to know about the Jets. How can I hear more? So uh, do you want to tell people the best way to keep up with everything you're doing? Of course, just go to theathletic.com, look at the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, that's where I write. It's an incredibly interesting time in Winnipeg Jets land with a new coach, with possible exit of Mark Shifley, with Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, saying he needs to take a step back and think before he commits long-term with all these defensemen in this system, uh, with Cole Perfetti coming up. It's it's an interesting time to be in Winnipeg for sure. And yeah, you can find me at The Athletic. Also, of course, you want to follow Murat on Twitter at WPG Murat to uh, keep up, you know, links to all those great articles on The Athletic, including this one we just talked about, about Josh Morrissey. And I see that you're uh, writing a lot of articles with like fan surveys and like summarizing what people are feeling. Always good to take a census of what people are feeling about the team. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again. You've done it again, Murat. Another amazing interview about the Jets. I look forward to this every year. I hope that we can already book next year's uh, and... Yeah, thanks again. Good luck to the Jets next year and have an awesome offseason. Hey, thank you so much for having me, uh, as always. And you too. Good luck with all the shows. Thanks. (laughs) This is number two, so we have 30 to go.